Welcome to the CRE Podcast, 100% Canadian, 100% commercial real estate. Now, here are your hosts, Aaron Cameron and Adam Powatic. Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Podcast, powered by First National. I am Adam Powatic, and with me in the illustrious role of co-host is Aaron Cameron. I think you're my co-host. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> are we co-hosts? Is, is this the front man saying that's my drummer? Is that the is that the way it works? We've got a guest on today by the name of Drago Farsang, who is the CIO of Wise Meter Solutions. We have spoken to him in the past on, on other panels, but we've not had him do a one-on-one with us. So this is going to be a little interesting. The theme of today is PropTech meets ESG. We like to take two you know, very new buzzwords, press them together, get everybody's attention is, is the goal here. But this is, you know, it is very fitting for what we're going to talk about today. You know, Drago's worked on Energy efficiency, that's the, the, the root of WISE you know, meter solutions. But this is a new software they're rolling out that we run in conjunction with what we're seeing in the industry, which is reporting requirements going up, you know, ESG compliance officers showing up in companies, institutional capital only being interested in, in groups that are on top of this. And so Drago's the guy that's going to facilitate it. Long-winded intro, but uh, Drago, welcome. Thank you very much. So if you two are the rock band, am I the groupie? <laughs> Yeah, I think I think that's probably yeah. accurate. Yeah. <laughs> Not sure that's accurate at all. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we have covered wise in the past in the podcast, and I imagine that anybody who's in real estate probably has a pretty good handle on who you are. But you never know who's out there trying to learn. So we'll just do the the kind of the background on you, how you got to where you are, and wise does just to kind of set the stage for the conversation here. Yeah, I've been in uh, technology now uh, twenty five years. I started off in the financial business when online banking first came out. From there, went into online. And so the best practices in a lot of these digital forward companies, right? So just think of it this way. What was happening in 2000? Internet came up. And so that 22 years of of working in that industry and and understanding how important data is because it's driven retail and online so much, I wanted to bring it to this industry. You know, submetering, utility in general, it's really good. There's a lot of information there, but everybody's been afraid, I think, to tap into it. And so now we're taking that information, we're pooling it up, and we're using it for the betterment of society, right? Like ESG is a great driver to start looking seriously at the data that we have at our fingertips and that we've had for a decade. So I guess the original sales pitch for kind of what you're doing is we'll save you money via energy because now tenants are responsible, and which makes sense. There's a value prop there. But as the industry shifted, so probably has a value prop, which is you might not be able to attract high-level institutional capital if you're not doing this. Exactly. You know, any, anybody that wants to invest in your company wants to know that you're doing the right thing. They want to make sure that you can track every kilowatt of energy that's being used and know that you're on top of your game when you're noticing discrepancies in what's happening within your buildings, right? One tenant out of 100 isn't going to cause you issues. A couple of hundred tenants out of 200 tenants is going to cause you an issue, right? And so by looking at the data, you can fix the small minutia of issues fairly quickly, but they actually will show you the result when you talk about the analytics behind it, right? So you have the data, monitors everything, it rolls up into the reporting and the analytics, and you can say, hey, you know, before I address this issue, here was my consumption, here was my GHG that I was putting out, I fixed my issue, and all of a sudden I see my number drop. Right? There's a real-time correlation there. And, and in the olden days, yes, you had the data, but it was sitting in someone's floppy or hard drive somewhere. It was in a huge 300,000-line Excel. What did you do? 
right? So the whole point of wise data is to take that information, do all the number crunching, do all the consolidation, do all of the the verification of it, and allow you to have a, a dashboard where you look and it's all done for you, right? A lot of these property owners don't have the ability to have their own data teams, right? For us, it's easier to be the data team for the bulk of these because we install the meters, we we collect the data, we do the billing, we do whatever is needed from a utility submetering perspective. And so it's just like a natural progression for us. I like the example you gave of uh, finding out which of your tenants are mining Bitcoin. And, you know, the guy that is mining Bitcoin, if he's paying, he's not going to mine Bitcoin. But if he's not paying because he's moved into a complex where it's included in the rent, hey, who cares, right? You see the spike. I have two comments. One, I wonder what percentage of our listeners understood what you meant when you said floppy. The Google floppy disk. We'll just leave it there. (laughs) Some were like, oh yeah, no, no, he's talking about The other was like, what the heck is he talking about? The other one is, let's just talk about the data mining, the collection of the data first and foremost. Then we'll get into, I think let's just do this almost in a linear sense. How you're collecting the data, what it looks like from a just, you know, obviously you've got whole server banks and things like that. And then let's talk about the utility of that data from the end user and their benefit to the tenants, as you kind of indicated. And we've had Peter Mills on. I can't remember if we mentioned that. We had Peter Mills on, who's the president of Wise yes. Meters before. And he kind of talked about a little bit about this, but I think it's worthwhile going into it again because I think I find it really fascinating because the technology we didn't always exist to be able to collect the data on what the usage was on a unit by unit basis. Maybe just really quickly kind of go through what that looks like now. And remember, we're just, we're talking really generically about utilities, but it's not all the same thing. It's not one utility. It's everything, right? So maybe just talk about what that looks like. When you think about metering, I mean, in the olden days, somebody would walk there with a clipboard, look at your reading on the outside. I think we've all had this in our houses, our parents' houses. The guy'd come around once a month, look at the meter on the outside and write it down. With submetering the way it is right now, the meters record your consumption so that you can get an accurate bill rather than a guesstimate. And the way it works is it reads the energy flowing through or the water flowing through and captures it on an hourly interval. That information is sent back to a central database where it's captured, it's collected, and, and that's where a customer receives the bill. What we want to do is take it one step further and say, okay, you've got your bill, but now what we want to be able to do is give you some insights into not only what your tenants are doing, but what your building looks like as a whole, right? Is one floor consuming more than another floor? Is it because, you know, there's repairs going on? Did you just replace lighting? Data is the starting point of all of the analytics. And because you start at the meter, then what we can do is layer on things like weather data. We can layer on Humidex. We can layer on when you did a retrofit of a lighting system or whatever the case is. And you can see the graphs start to show that there was either an increase or a decrease and can validate what you did actually made a difference. And benchmark it against? I I guess two questions. One, who owns the data? The property owner owns the data. But you have access to it. Because this is a perfect example. Replace a roof. What does it look like? pre-roof replacement, post-roof replacement? Because lots of people talk about roof replacement being, again, we're, we're talking about apartments, let's be clear here, yes. as one of the best ways to create energy efficiency because all of a sudden the heat's not escaping off out the top of the building yeah. for seven months of the year in Canada and you're retaining that heat. That's a great way to cut down on your utility bills. Oh, yeah. I mean, I got. can you take that and benchmark it and then go and say to a client, say, hey, look, here are some of the things you should be doing now you're creating additional value to your clientele. And, and that's part of one of the services that we have is looking in and providing the insight as to what all of our customers do because we cover such a broad 
range of locations, right? So we're Ontario, we're BC, we're Alberta, we're the East Coast. And so we have the ability to look and compare at a high level to say, okay, this building did this or this building did this. And yes, we can actually see the change in consumption and the waste that's happening, right? So roofing is one. Windows, right? Windows on the north side of a building in the middle of winter when you have a wind chill, they're going to be cranking up the heat, something major. The guys on the south are going to probably want to be putting on air conditioning because the, the south is so hot. The yeah. south is so hot. But this gives you the ability. But because we have the history of the consumption, then what we can do is compare it at the point that you say, I just completed my renovation right now. After a couple of months, you look back and you know you, the, the graphing is there automatically. I'd be really curious to take like a larger project or I guess a larger building, say it's 25, 30 stories and start carving it up in different ways. You talked about different floors being higher consumption than others, but you know, maybe the corner units on the Southwest corner versus the units on the Northwest corner, why do they have different utility uses? You might not know the answer, but at least it'll start pushing you to ask some questions about what's going on within your building and may guide you towards different capex or you know different ways of, of tenanting I, I don't know but it's really curious to start thinking about how you can start looking at the information on a unit by unit basis you must have read my mind so one of the innovations that we're working on are actually doing 3d modeling based on the consumption data along and the with heat maps and things like exactly. that exactly yeah, that's cool right so I that, that, that <laughs> that's yeah. something that's just coming out but wouldn't it be nice to see a high rise or, or a low rise and be able to spin around and go, okay, wow, that's one red corner. That's one blue corner. And then start to figure out what's going on. If I'm a purchaser, like these are the types of things I'd start wanting to look at. Show me what it looks like. Or maybe you don't want to know because you want to buy it at a discount. I, I can't decide whether I want to <laughs> buy it and figure out a way to fix it or know it's already fixed and buy it for that reason. Or if you had larger scale data, pairing it to demographics, pairing it to tenant types or students... Uh, using more energy than senior citizens. And then that's one of the things, though, you have to be kind of careful because that's kind of the point where you're going a little creepy when you start adding on privacy and everything else. But there's nothing wrong with being able to have the data to say, yeah, you know, like if it's for the internal use of the building to make sure that the residents, the building is safe. That makes sense. But to, to sell it off, we don't want to be going down that path. No, right? fair. But I mean, particularly maybe on a, on a transaction basis, that doesn't make sense or it's a little bit more complicated. But certainly if I'm a large, let's say I own a couple thousand units, I know what my leases say. So I know generally what the yep. makeup of my tenant mix is. And to start distributing your heat maps against the profile yes. of the tenant would be really interesting because it might change the way that you're leasing your units in different geographies. Drago, I mean, Drago has more integrity than Facebook, so he doesn't want to <laughs> doesn't want to invade privacy. Yeah. <laughs> it always goes back, and I and I keep saying this. It goes back to the meter data. If you have the meter data, we have suite data. When with suite data, we then have enrollment data. So we have this building block that we can continue to to expand upon and then look back and start using data scientists and data analysts to start connecting dots to go, oh, I see this happening. And then because we have such a broad base of customers, we can then compare and say, is this normal? Is this not normal? And be able to bring up things that, you know, if you're just looking at your own silo, it's hard to compare yourself to somebody else when you don't have anything to compare against. But, you know, we're, we're fortunate that we have that ability to compare. And this is what I, I love about this topic. You, you called it PropTech meets ESG. Or, and clearly this is technology-based. But then not only are you finding ways to help 
your client save money, our, our property owners. But then they're also now creating a much more environmentally friendly building, exactly. saving money for their tenants, gearing towards carbon neutrality. Like there's so many different ways now that they can take this data, figure out, hey, maybe I really need to replace. I just thought the roof needed some patchwork, but wait a minute, looking at this, I really need it because that's going to bring my cost to my tenants down significantly. So there's some really kind of cool symmetries with just given the way that the world is transitioning so rapidly towards such environmentally consciousness, environmental consciousness. I really find this just great. So where are you now as far as the distribution? Like you've got now a platform for the data. Yeah. So we launched uh, Wise Data late last year and we have about a half a dozen customers that are using it. It's already paid some dividends back to a, a couple of them right off the bat within the first meeting. They're like, oh yeah, I see something that I need to go and, and take a look at and investigate. And and you know, it sets them off on the course and they're becoming much more engaged now that they have the data. It's also a chance for us to educate them on what's going on and how to interpret that data to make sure that they're comfortable using it on their own, right? One of my big philosophies over the years is I want to empower the end user to have control and to see what they need to see and do what they need to do. They shouldn't have to run to me to say, oh, what's this and what's this and what's this? We're there to support, but wouldn't it be nice just to walk in your office in the morning, you click on the screen, your world is there on a dashboard and you're like, okay, I know what I got to look at. Yeah, so this is the kind of the next evolution. I mean, every time we get into the PropTech conversation, we usually finish off with, you know, what's next. And I guess this is the kind of concept of what's next. ESG was a conversation for, you know, four or five years. And then the last, you know, 18 months, you know, visible signs of concrete action are everywhere. I kind of, you know, talked about it a bit at the start, you know, ESG compliance people working full-time for the larger landlords, yep. institutional capital. Let's talk about, you know, this next thing. Because you are on a pilot stage. So this is, you know, very cutting edge. I'm glad yes. to kind of catch you yes. this moment. This is a nice moment for the podcast. So what you're bringing to the table now is the ability to take this information at scale and then translate it into something that investment and reporting can understand, specifically Grez and Energy Star, I think the two you mentioned. Yes. And maybe you can just kind of elaborate on you know, what those two are for anybody that's not familiar with it. It's the quantification of it rather than the qualification of it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Going back to my original point, right? We, we have the base data. Now what we're able to do is with the new pilot that's come out, it's called YZSG. It allows us to layer on standardized reporting, right? GRESB is a framework for reporting on, on ESG. And by using that framework and pre-building it, we can help customers that have set up teams or ones that really haven't set up teams be able to comply with ESG or at least measure themselves with ESG and say, okay, where are we? How do we compare to, or how do we report right now? And then they can start creating strategy plans to improve what they have. But once it's built, as long as the data is flowing, it's reporting. And one of the keys for, for the whole ESG and, and the GRES reporting is quality data, right? It can't be somebody that's pulled off an Excel off of something and then tried to manually merge it all. You have to be able to prove that it is clear, it's concise, and it's accurate at any given time. We've had lots of discussions about ESG on this podcast and, and the implications to Canada and how we're, we're kind of behind a little bit. The U.S. is ahead of us. The Europe is ahead of the U.S. And Europe, they're already coming out with now fines to property owners if they don't hit certain targets. Again, based on parameters that I don't necessarily understand, but it's coming and it's happening. And it's based on things like you're talking about. 
And so I, I was curious, as we're talking this through, there are people sitting in dream developments or obviously in boardwalk or, mm-hmm. you know, name it, major, major, major owners of real estate across the country going, yeah, no, yeah, of course. Yeah, I'm fully aware. And then there's a whole other section of owners of real estate around the country that are going, that ah, sounds like a lot of work. Sounds like a lot of money. I can't afford to yeah, pay a full-time like, compliance what, like, that's officer. Just, that's just going to diminish the returns. Why would I bother? I don't know. What do you say to those people? Five years ago, I'd say you're right. The way things are right now with the big push for, for ESG, net zero, the government is stepping up and providing the ability to create those homes that are energy efficient and aren't wasteful, allowing for renewable energy and things that power EV cars, right? Like there's no excuse anymore not to invest in reducing the consumption and the waste, right? What we're trying to do is help guide some of those pillars that are out there and make sure that nobody runs into them because we're so attached to the utilities we can do the reporting, we help with the ESG, but we can also help point with, uh, with the right funding that's out there. Right. There is also a, a yield enhancement component to this also. If you are able to start motivating your tenants to be more energy efficient, not only are you doing the right thing for our future society yes. and the environment, and all that kind of stuff, but you, you actually could generate greater returns. I don't, that's the argument anyway. It is. And I mean, you know, I know with my kids and, and I'm sure with, with, if you, for your kids, you know, they've been taught about being green and recycling since, you know, JK. Right? Yes. Yeah, so definitely. I've, lo- I've gotten blowback before from them for <laughs> throwing something in the wrong bin. Right. And, and so everybody that's kind of coming up and purchasing homes, I mean, I think that's becoming now a major factor in where they want to live. Do they want to be living in a place that's destructive or beneficial to, to the environment, right? Like, it's something that you can't fix the environment in a night, right? It's not like a window breaks and you can patch it up. The environment, once it goes down, it, that doesn't come back that quickly. And the insights and, you know, things we've talked about, you know, things like gam- gamification, having, you know, buildings competing against other buildings within a complex saying, okay, who's, who's more energy efficient or being able to share your data. Like gamification, you know, in other industries has helped, you know, promote insight into what's going on in a fun way. Maybe there is a little bit of, financial compensation for it, right? You know, you know, the winning building gets, you know, I don't know, some kind of a gift card. But it's just another step in, in the education and, and bringing people aboard. Because if all you do is you get a bill and you just pay it, but you don't know how you compare to others, are you really motivated to change? I mean, I can see this, you know, a flat screen in the lobby with the <laughs> rankings and, you know. <laughs> it, it could be, you know, assign your nickname, you know. <laughs> this person ended up saving 40% yeah. of energy from the month before. Yeah. It doesn't say your unit just as a no. nickname. It can be kind of, a, but yeah, they won. They were the most efficient and they got this from, <laughs> yes. right? Or whatever it may be. Exactly. Well, and to your point as well about, you know, the green generation, which... I didn't grow up with it, but it entered my life sometime, you know, later on. The generation that did, it's just ingrained. It's just by, you know, by default, they can't imagine making decisions not based on that. They're starting to move into decision-making roles in corporations, you know, and then you're really going to see a shift. This is not, well, Aaron has kids that are are quite young, so maybe they're just starting this process. But, uh, you know, these these kids are going to be, you know, moving from junior positions, post-university into, you know, money management positions. And, now you've got considerable sums of money managed by people that really just by default can't imagine that you wouldn't comply with this or pursue yeah. this or make it a priority. No, exactly. And, and I kind of gave this example to somebody earlier today. 
you know, when you think back to how the internet started off, right? Everybody was fascinated with it. Everybody was scared of it. Nobody knew what the potential was. And I think ESG is very similar to that, right? Like we know it can do good. We don't know how much good it can do. So as time goes by, we're just going to see that really just explode. And, and the great thing about it is technology is the enabler for all of this, right? It's not the golden solution for it all, but it enables us to have everything that we need to make these decisions to better ourselves. Maybe it's just me by default, but I've been, as we've been going through this conversation in my own mind, thinking about this as from an apartment context, but it has equally beneficial applications to other asset classes, maybe even greater because you, you know, the corporate citizens often have even greater motivations to ensure the efficiency of their buildings, of their use of the, of the yes. built structure. So maybe just talk through what you're seeing from the non-apartment real estate world. Well, we're definitely submetering more and more commercial as well, which is great. And I think that speaks to, you know, the submetering technology and the ability to get that insight into what's happening, right? It's no longer just, you know, it's a box with, you know, nothing happening in it. There's energy consumption and, and what's in there is dramatic. And I think the benefit of ESG, whether it's commercial or multi-res, the benefits are there. And, and there's a lot of the, the, our clients tend to have both. So you can't ignore one and not the other. In regards to market penetration, you've done this once already. Like being wise has done this once already, where it went from you know very little presence in the market to now, I think if memory serves correct, somewhere in the 70 percentile range of uh, buildings would have this now implemented. So now that you're taking it to, we'll say version 2.0, maybe it's a version 7.0. Yeah. I don't know. There's probably a few levels, but I'm simplifying <laughs> it for uh, podcast listeners and myself. So now that you're taking it to this next level, the ESG reporting, the GRESB compliance, you're starting with, you know, you said five people now. I'm sure they're big names, institutions. Yes. How do you implement into the mom and pops? How do you get it down to the level? How do you get to an equal amount of you know market penetration that you've you've got with your your primary uh, offering? I, again, I understand obviously you had a 20 year head start with the yeah. uh, sub metering, but uh, how do you how do you get there? I, I think it's going to be you know getting enough of the big players on board using it, working down to the mediums, and then I think proving to them that there is value in what's going on. I think the the myth of hey this is expensive, I can't afford it, I can't do it. The reality is you're already getting the data, which is the start of it all. Now you can just make your decisions based on that. So I think it'll come, but just like anything else, I mean, they're, they're small, pockets aren't as, as deep and they'll come around. But I think they just need the proof of others being successful and not just the big guys or the big players that you look at and go, oh, yeah, they're backed by so-and-so or so-and-so, but by more medium-scale ones that are you know, maybe a larger family owned. Yeah, you know, like the high-level problems like the Nordic Sovereign Wealth Fund that gives you finances <laughs> or it gives you equity might not participate. You know, it doesn't really apply to the guy that owns 220 plexes. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know, Drago, unfortunately, we're, we're kind of running out of time here, but I think there's so much value in this initiative that you guys have at WiseMeter and, and the, I don't want, want to call it the campaign or the just the, the push you guys have to really get this out to everybody. So maybe just what are your final thoughts on just or what do you want to say to the market to get this momentum going? Definitely. So I've been in the industry for about a year and a half now. And one of the things that I've noticed is technology isn't as advanced as it is in other industries. You know, my background being digital, when I look at digital, you know, every little thing is tracked. Every little thing is monitored so that somebody can make a really smart, informed decision. The benefit that every owner has, whether you're 220s or you're five whatever, is you have meters, you have data 
that data can then be shown to you in a way that it's going to benefit you. And it doesn't mean that you have to go fully ESG right off from the start, but at least you can make progressions to either make money, save money, or, you know, look to the government programs that are out there to help you invest and, in, and increase and make what you have better, right? Maybe it's the missing link that lets you get that third complex or improve or, you know, make your units and your, your properties higher scale than, than where they are right now. So the, the, the benefits are there. And I think we, we can't be afraid to start digging into that data. There's no harm in it. It'll either prove that you're on the right track and, you, and here's some changes that you have, or you're perfect the way you are and it's validation, but it will never, never take you down. And where do they find Drago? Just wisemeter.com. Is that the easy thing to do? Wisemeter.com is the best place. Contact us and they, it'll send you in. Send you Contact in. us. It'll yeah. go right to sales and then they'll pull myself in and, and anybody else that's needed to give you the right kind of conversation. Open okay. and honest. Okay. I think this is awesome. Where prop tech meets ESG, it really is... Um, it's where we're going. It is the future. And so I, it's awesome to have you on. It's almost the present now. It yes. is almost the finally. <laughs> for heaven's sake, we've been talking about it for six bloody years. <laughs> uh, thanks, Drago. Really appreciate you coming on. Thank of you. course, thanks to First National for powering the podcast. I am Adam Powadic, co-host Aaron, signing off. <laughs>Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Podcast After Show, where Adam and I kind of discuss the conversation we just had with Drago. This is now the third episode, or at least the second we've done with, no, third we've done with Wise, right? Peter Mills before. We had Drago on a panel, and then now Drago separately. And, and each time, you kind of understand the, the, the significance of what they're trying to do. And, you know, we didn't really hit on it with the conversation with Drago specifically, but we did when we talked to Peter Mills, the president, just about how they're pivoting from a metering company or a sub-metering company, I should say, to really more of a data technology company and just the the value of the data that they can create. And that's where Drago really got into it. The importance of our clients, the you know owners of properties to have access to this data and then use it properly to really drive the behaviors of the end users, the occupiers, to make better decisions for the ultimate benefit of the environment, global warming, you know, decarbonization or, you know, I, I get lost in all the terminology, but very, very interesting stuff. And you can feel that it's just early on in the stages, right? Like what they're trying to do. I'm going to put together an analogy for you here. You know, I'd love to hear your input on it. I'm going to use Fitbit as proxy for this. You know, I'm currently on my fourth or fifth Fitbit and the previous, you know, four models I used, I thought they were good and that they collected this data, created reams and reams of data. And, you know, that's what I was paying for. And so I was happy enough with that. The most recent Fitbit I got is taking all of that data and refining it down to such usable, actionable advice. It's a totally different experience. It's leaps forward from where it was. And so like, like many industries in the kind of the big data era that we're in now, and I know that even you, Aaron, have used that term for, you know, what First National is, of course, trying to do with our platform as well, where we are along that continuum. Like obviously, you know, the day generation is monumental, but how far along the curve are we shifting in real estate to where you've got real actionable yield enhancing, you know, kind of outputs coming from it. And so I'd ask you to kind of where you see the industry, because you're specifically involved as a first national in terms of data collection, and then actually refining it into usable action points. All right. It's so challenging. I mean, we had this conversation in 
I don't know, different corners of our real estate community with you and I through different interviews. But I think since we recorded the Drago, I mean, obviously, sometimes we record these after shows a little bit after the actual interview. And we actually did a, an interview with an individual for a future episode. So I won't, this is a teaser gentleman that runs a $50 billion equity fund globally. And just hearing the way he talks about, you know, ESG as just, it's almost as important as return, right? Like it's so important in a European context that you can't raise capital, you can't deploy capital, you can't even buy a building without maybe the first thing is what's your yield. And the second thing is what's the ESG consequences. I just, I think that's really telling because that's the way that I think again, Europe is thinking, and I think lots of parts of the world, not North America, not Canada in particular. And so I think what WISE is doing and, and you know, just some of the information that Drago was talking about is just the start of the pivot, the paradigm shift of the minds of the Canadian commercial real estate community thinking, okay, wait a minute, we really need to take this seriously. And it's coming. I mean, in Europe, it was a regulatory push, right? Catherine Marshall, one of our previous guests we've had on multiple times on ESG, has talked about just how in Europe, you can't pretend to be ESG centric and have a you know a couple pages in your financial statements. Like you, you literally get fined if you don't actually live up to the standards you set. You can't say I'm going to be reduce my carbon footprint by X and not do it. Then you get you literally have to pay a fine to the government if you don't meet your targets, right? So that kind of thing clearly isn't occurring in Canada yet, but I think it will in the future. And then of course, to answer your question, a long winded answer is you need the data to do that. You can't set targets and then say I met them without actually proving it, right? So. I don't, I don't know if it's there or not. I'd almost like to ask Michael Cooper because they're, I think, Dream's one of the most sort of leaders in this. They're really, really doing it and proving that it can be a yield enhancer. And I'd be really interested to hear just kind of how they tackle the data problem. Well, yeah, and to your point, I mean, uh, you know, to Europe being the gold standard, for sure, groups like Dream are, you know, at the forefront of it. But in terms of the difference between us and Europe, I'm just going to, you know, make up numbers here. So don't, you know, rely on these as fact, but it feels like the kind of top 10% of, Real estate operators here are focused on that, making it a real integral part of their investment platform. Whereas Europe, it's more, that's just table stakes to get uh, you know, into the real estate game, unless you're in the bottom 10% of real estate holders, and then you, then you don't. From what we've been hearing, people with exposure to Europe, it is that dramatic difference between the two markets. Well, yeah. I mean, that, again, the individual that for the future episode that's coming out, I think he said, if I remember correctly, it's basically like 1A and 1B. What's your yield? What's your impact on the ESG? Because if they're not both positive and both really strong, then you're not making that investment. You have to have the yield, of course, to be able to get a return. But you also have to be benefiting on the ESG side of the of the equation, or you're not making that investment. And I don't think clearly most investors, save and except for some few international investors in the Canadian real estate market, just don't think that way. No. Yeah. And, and maybe it will be a regulatory switch here as well. Maybe it won't be a gradual process. It'll be somebody flips a switch and you've got a date to be compliant. and we'll see a monumental shift here as well. Well, it's funny. Yeah, because we've talked about it being a, a bottom-up driver, right? Particularly on the apartment side, the end users, you and I renting a unit have to want it for our apartment owners to want to do it. But yeah, it probably needs to be more of a top-down thing than a bottom-up for all of us that don't like a big government. Unfortunately, I just think that's where it's going to end up coming from. On a separate note, I guess I know we're running out of time, but you know, it's been really interesting. You and I have been going through this journey of ESG now for three or four years. It used to be no one's heard of ESG, and now it seems to be every conversation is about ESG. And yet, as you hear, and I, you and I just kind of shooting it around, it's still this murky, unknown area of what's going to happen, particularly on the lending side. People get asked you and I about what's the impact on the lending side, and it, 
at the, the honest answer right now is basically zero. Like there are whispers of green bonds. You kind of see it around the fringes, but there's nothing impactful. But what's becoming more apparent as we're doing these conversations, having these conversations is the significant impact on the environment that the built environment has, built world, I guess. You know, some of the numbers, and I'm, I'll make them up, but they're close. So you get the concept is that like 30 or 40% of the world's carbon comes from real estate. Like it's an insane proportion. Like it is the largest producer of greenhouse gases more than any other industry, more than oil and gas, more than any other industry. One of the other ones that I thought was really interesting that I just saw was that on a per dollar revenue basis, concrete, of course, which we use for basically every building, except for some of the lower rise stick apartment buildings is like, four times or five times more environmentally harmful, meaning it produces more carbon, four or five times more carbon per dollar of revenue generated than any other industry in the world. You know, producing oil and gas produces, I don't know, 100 units of revenue. And to produce the same amount of concrete or same amount of revenue, 100 units of revenue of concrete, it's eight times or six times more environmentally harmful. Like, it's just insane how damaging our industry is. So whatever. I mean, I'm making the numbers up to a certain degree, but you get it. Like it's, it's not just like it's slightly more environmentally harmful. It's X-fold, right? It's way more. And so back to the original conversation about top down or bottom up, like I think the governments are coming for us, so to speak. Like they're going to kind of go, wait a minute, like we have to figure out how to get this commercial real estate community, whether it's on the development side, the operating side or whatever, to be more environmentally friendly because we are such a big contributor to the challenges we face as a society, a global society with climate change. Assuming you believe climate change is a thing, but I think we're past that conversation, right? <laughs> You're going to get a conspiracy warning on this podcast. with I don't know if I had to make that disclaimer or not, but I feel like, you know, what is it? 1% of the population still doesn't believe in climate change? I don't know. So. Yeah, we don't want to lose them as listeners, I guess. Is that the, uh, the takeaway? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> Okay, well, anyway. that was uh, that was insightful. I, mean, I guess we're ending on a bit of a silly note, but uh, that's uh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> that's okay. No, yeah, take, yeah. The takeaway is as a as a collective, you know, as a commercial real estate community, we got to figure it out because we are a, a major contributor to climate change. And no matter what, the governments are going to find ways to restrict us or govern us or whatever in some form or fashion. And it's already happened in Europe, so it's it's bound to happen here. And not wrong in that, of course, you know, as you're mentioning, the environmental cost of those profitable dollars being generated are, you know, four or five times more harmful. That's not borne by us as industry. That's, of course, borne by all of society. And so yeah. I get that they need to put a structure into to feed that negative loop back to uh, well, creators of it. One of the other things that I think is really crazy, and we can end on this note, I guess, out of that, you know, where 30 to 40% of the world's, you know, carbon emissions comes from real estate community, a good chunk of that, like a third of that, percentage is from the demolition of buildings, tearing buildings down and all of the garbage that gets produced just to tear a building down to build a new one is a huge component. So like, I mean, there's lots of ways for us to be more creative, but the reality is it's just cheaper to tear it down and build a new one than try to retrofit an old one, right? That's just the reality. So I get why it happened. It's not a, and we live in a capitalist society and that's, that's the way it should be, but doesn't mean there aren't sort of ancillary consequences. I do want to share a counterpoint with you before we do sign off here, though. It's, uh, sure. it's not, not my opinion. I, I did. I am cribbing this a bit. I, he- I heard it on the closing panel at the Land and Development Conference, and they were talking there about this very item that 
you know, our industry is fairly dirty. And the argument there was like, yes, but if you were to separate, if you're to dig into it a bit, building highways to small communities, you know, is born in that cost. That if you actually look at the environmental impact of building a high-rise downtown tower that's, you know, transit-oriented and you're getting people out of cars and onto subways and all that, that there's an argument to be made that the impact of the real estate that we deal with, because, you know, of course, we have nothing to do with the building of roads and things like that. Yeah, just if you take this, the isolated impact of that building, which is where we do focus our energy on, that there's an argument to be made that that stat is not necessarily reflective of the truth specific to real estate. So I thought it was interesting, you know, and everybody else caught the land dev conference wants to jump in for a more fulsome explanation <laughs> of that. I would love to hear it. But I did hear that argument. I thought that's an interesting counterpoint that, you know, that maybe you do offset it against people living in, you know, high rise towers in a very efficient manner near where they work as an offset against, yes, uh, concrete that is particularly well, dirty. Fair. And we're building smaller units. So you're getting greater density on a per acreage basis and, you know, high density neighborhoods. Yeah, I'm sure there's lots of ways to make it better. I'm not disagreeing with. I just think we, as a whole, we just need to collectively agree that we need to figure out a solution. That's just the reality. We could do better. We'll, we'll all agree on that. Yeah. yeah. We'll keep working on it. Keep working on it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All, all right, right, everybody. That is it. Thanks a lot for uh, listening to the end and we'll uh, see you in the next one. Thank you for listening to the CRE podcast. The information from this broadcast is not to be relied upon as financial investing, professional accounting, or legal advice. First National Financial LP holds Financial Services Commission of Ontario License Number 10514 and 11252.